what we have been hearing this morning in song and testimony from a scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that says for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and his and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace hallelujah that was a good place to shout right there now listen if you are unfamiliar with this scripture it's actually a prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah over 700 years before the birth of Christ and it foretells the birth of a child who would be that long-awaited Messiah but more than a prophecy this Scripture gives us insight into, into the nature, the character of this Messiah. In fact, there are four revelations that we see here in this prophecy. First, it says that he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Can you say that with me? Wonderful Counselor. Now, a counselor is someone that you, uh, you go to because you need help. You messed up, and you need someone to help you get your mess straightened out. How many have ever been there? All right, not enough honest people here this morning. That's what a counselor does. A good counselor can, can figure out what's wrong with you and, and gives you guidance and direction to help you. But Jesus is not just a good counselor. Jesus is not just a wise counselor. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And he's wonderful because Psalm 46 says that our God is a very present help in our times of trouble. Now you might say, how can, how can he be such a wonderful counselor? And how can you say that he's a help in times of trouble when he did these things to me? He could have stopped this sickness in my body. He could have saved my child from that tragedy. He could have kept us out of that that car accident. He could have prevented this evil in my life before it came upon me. But I want you to understand that, that whatever mess you're in, whatever crisis has hit your life, God didn't do that to you. These, these pains and these sufferings that we face are actually the realities of living in a broken, fallen world. You see, when God created it all. Initially, he created it to be perfect, and he called it good. Then he gave it to mankind that man would have dominion over it. But with that, he gave mankind free will because he didn't want a bunch of pre-programmed robots that could only love him. He needed man to have the choice to not, to not love God. Unfortunately, man exercised that choice and rejected God's sovereignty over his life and God's authority and sinned against God. And when that happened, mankind fell. It's called the fall of man. And all creation fell with man. And all of creation was broken. And our fellowship with God was broken. And now there are certain realities of living in a broken world, being fallen away from God. Realities like sickness and pain and death and loss. We are a broken people living in a broken world. But you know what broken, hurting people need? 
a counselor, a wonderful counselor, a counselor who helps in our times of trouble, a counselor who comforts when we're in pain, a, con- a counselor who gives wisdom and, and guidance and grace when we need it. Now, I realize that we actually want him to just wave his, his mighty hand and just eradicate all pain and, and all suffering from, from the world and from our lives. But to do that, for God to eradicate all suffering and pain from the world, he would have to eradicate the cause of all suffering and all pain and all evil. He'd have to obliterate all that is broken and evil, including me and you, because we're broken and evil. And man, much of mankind is responsible for the suffering and the evil that's in the world today. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the hearts of men are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's, that's our hearts. Describes the thoughts in our mind, the intents in our character, the motives of our will that are often unseen. But the good news is that God loves us. He doesn't want to obliterate us. He doesn't want to annihilate and eradicate us from existence. So, so he made a way to help us. Not by taking away all of our pain and suffering, but by, by stepping into it. By joining us in our pain. Joining us in our suffering. And becoming for us a wonderful counselor in our pain and a very present help in our times of trouble. Which brings us to that next revelation of our Savior where it says not only will he be called Wonderful Counselor, but he's also Mighty God. Can we say that? Mighty God. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel said to Joseph, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Bible makes it very clear exactly who Jesus Christ is. Not just a teacher, not just a prophet, not just another religious leader. More than that, the Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The Gospel of John says that Christ, who is the Word, was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. It was Jesus, God the Son, who at the beginning said, let there be light. It was Jesus who spoke and the earth was formed. It was Jesus who commanded the mountains to rise and to the seas to find their places. It was Jesus who said, let there be fish that will swim and birds that will fly and beasts that will roam on the earth. It was Jesus, the Word of God, the Creator of it all, the Son of God, who said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and breathe life into him and he became a living soul. This is that baby in the manger, born to Mary, prophesied by Isaiah, declared by the angel, who shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. This baby is God clothed in flesh. He stepped into the humanity which he created. Why? Because as Isaiah said, he is our Father, our everlasting Father. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on us. Now, I realize that many people today struggle with this imagery of a father because the father that they remember, the father that they had, is not compassionate. They remember a harsh, uncaring, angry father who shamed them and condemned them for their failures and their mistakes. Let me assure you, that's a broken father, as so many fathers are. Broken, fallen, imperfect, but that's not the everlasting father. The everlasting father, he doesn't shame us for our sins. He doesn't cast us aside for our failures. Psalm 103, again, it says that this This everlasting Father is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. How many can say that's good news? Yes? Amen? That's good news. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord, our everlasting Father, pities those who fear him. He sees us for what we are. He sees our sin. And yeah, our sin offends him. Our sin angers him. But instead of destroying us, Instead of casting us away, annihilating us, he had compassion on us. He stepped into our humanity. He joined us in our suffering in order that we might be restored to our everlasting Father. He did it. He did it alone. Some often say, what's so special about Christianity? What makes Christianity stand out among all the religions of the world? Only Jesus, only Jesus came into mankind, clothed himself with flesh, and went to a cross on our behalf. Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. Only Jehovah. Hallelujah. Almighty God the creator of the heavens and the earth, put himself in the virgin womb of a teenage girl and for nine months humbled himself and stayed hidden in that womb. The sovereign, eternal, unlimited God clothed himself in a human embryo and became dependent on the womb of a mother to feed and to nourish him until he entered mankind as a baby through a birth canal crying and gasping for air, just like every one of us. Fully God, yet fully man. Eternally self-existent, but now flesh and blood. 
to live like us, to suffer like us, and to die for all of us so that we could again know God as our everlasting Father. Not a distant, angry, harsh judge, but a Father of compassion and love. Not only so he could understand our our pain and our misery and be a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but also to become a perfect offering for our sin on the cross, which is why he is called the Prince of Peace. Can you say that? Prince of Peace. When those angels appeared to the shepherds and proclaimed on earth peace and goodwill to men, it did not mean world peace in the sense that Christ brings an end to all wars and conflicts and pain and suffering. It means that the birth of this Christ and his eventual death would remove the conflict that exists between God and man because of mankind's sin. That God's wrath toward man's sin would be appeased on the cross through the suffering of Jesus and that we could have peace with God and now be recipients of his goodness in our lives. Hallelujah. Which brings us to one more name given to this Savior, a name that we all recognize. In Matthew 1, the angel told Joseph, he said, your betrothed, the virgin, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means the Lord is salvation. Jehovah saves. Now at Christmas we hear a lot about a manger, but the manger means nothing without the cross. On the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. The Bible says the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, would not be condemned to an eternal hell, but would have everlasting life. His death, this baby, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger in a dirty, filthy stable, would grow up to represent humanity at its worst on the cross. He would die and save us from eternal punishment. Now you might say, how can one man suffering for a few short hours on a cross save multitudes of men and women from eternal judgment? Because that one man, that one perfect eternal life is worth more than all the lives that ever existed in humanity put together. That one life. 
Take the most gifted and talented among us, the most admired and esteemed. Take every artist and sculptor, the da Vinci's and the Michelangelo's, the, the Bach's and the Beethoven's. Take the Einstein's and the Edison's and the Alexander Graham Bell's. Take every doctor and nurse and missionary and every soldier who ever served his country. Take the kings and the queens of every nation, every president and, and statesman and, and tycoon. Take every religious figure, Buddha and, and Muhammad, Confucius and the 14 Dalai Lamas. Take every innocent, precious, beautiful baby and every mother and father and family that ever existed. Take them all and put them in a scale on one side. And on the other side, put that one man the Son of God, alone, dying on a cross, and the worth of that one life outweighs them all because He is the eternal, omnipotent light of the world. He is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And He died willingly for me and for you. All of your sin and mine, every impure thought we ever had, every unkind word we'd ever spoken, every vile, vicious act we ever committed, it was put on Jesus on the cross. He took our punishment. He died our death. And now, he offers to us the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The thing with a gift is that it does us no good unless you receive a gift. Amen? How many like to receive gifts? If I went out and bought you a gift, wrapped it nice, handed it to you, and instead of taking that gift, you put your hands in your pocket, backed away, turned around, walked away, never took that gift into your hands. The gift that I offer to you does nothing for you. There must be an act of receiving the gift, taking ownership of it for ourselves. And you might say, well, how do I receive the gift of eternal life? It's simply by faith. It's simply by faith. It's simply by honoring God through believing that what Jesus did on the cross cleanses you from your sin. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, you'll be saved. When you believe that God raised him from the dead, hallelujah, because Jesus didn't stay on that cross. On the third day, the Bible says he rose from the dead. And when he stepped out of that grave, that was the bold proclamation of heaven that the offering of his life for the sin of mankind was accepted by God the Father and stands. It stands and is available for every one of us. We don't enter heaven through good works, religious deeds. We don't enter heaven because we've earned it on our own. None of us can earn heaven. How many understand that? None of us can earn heaven because there's always something messed up in our life that will keep us out. What we need is for our guilt to be removed. What we need is for our sin to be purged. And there's only one way, only one way, and that way is Jesus, the Son of God. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is 
not about decorations and trees and lights and giving gifts. Christmas is about that one gift. It's about that one gift. The love of God for the world. The offer of forgiveness of sin for each of us. Hallelujah. Jesus is your way back home to the Father. Amen? You may feel distant. You may feel depressed and dirty. You may feel miserable and messed up. But Jesus is your way back home. He's that wonderful counselor who gives you help in your trouble. He's the mighty God who moves mountains with his, his love. He's the everlasting Father who has compassion on his children. He's the Prince of Peace who hung on that cross to remove the separation, the conflict, the enmity that existed between God and man because of our sin. Now, if you're here today and you've never received that gift, never received Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's all stand together. I want to give you an opportunity to express your faith to the Lord and to say, yes, I believe. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross is for me. And I believe that he offers a gift of forgiveness, and I want that gift. Amen? I want the gift. I want to know that if I were to die today, that heaven would be my home. Amen? Don't say, well, I don't know if you can really know. Oh, you can know. 1 John 5.13 says, these things are written that you may know that you have. Not hope, not, well, I think so, no. That you may know that you have eternal life. Amen? So if you want to receive that gift, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. You're not saying it to me. You're, you're demonstrating your faith. You're, we're saying it to the Lord. Amen? So if you want to receive that gift, you want to receive Jesus into your life, I want you to repeat this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that on the third day, he rose from the dead and offers me eternal life. Heavenly Father, I accept that gift of eternal life. Heavenly Father, I receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. We exalt your name. Hallelujah. Amen. What an awesome God we serve. Now, that's just, a, that's just a first step. If you've never prayed that prayer before, and this is the first time you prayed, that's just a first step. There's a whole world of God's love that he has waiting for you. And, and to help you move forward in that journey, I want to ask you as you leave the sanctuary today that you'll stop by the Welcome Center and just mention to the people there, hey, I prayed that prayer at the end of the service because we have some information for you and we'd like to connect with you and explain a little more about the gospel and who Jesus is. Amen? Hallelujah. Can we just give the Lord another praise? Can we just exalt him? Can we magnify him? Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt your name. Amen.